So I'm going to beat a dead horse here. How will you store your backup seat? Ah, I've got my own solution for that. Something I don't want to share. Okay. No, that's good. That was a test. It was a test of your opposite. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a tattoo, by the way. <laughs> I didn't think of that. <laughs> that's a terrible lobstick. <laughs> this is Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your host, Ferris. That's me and Gordon from Coin Compass. We're Bitcoin advisors and educators supporting business and individual investors to safely buy, manage, and control their private keys, Bitcoins. This podcast is strictly educational and is not intended to be financial or investment advice. Full disclaimer in the show notes and at the end of this episode. Well, g'day everyone. Welcome to another Bitcoin Basics podcast with me, Gordon, and Faris. How's it going, Faris? Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining in. As you can see, I'm still in my rustic cabin location. Yeah, not Guantanamo Bay. No. Um, <laughs> so let's do a quick recap of where we are. This is part four in our Bitcoin wallet series. And we went through what is a Bitcoin wallet, which is essentially two things. One, it creates private keys for you, which then get Bitcoin addresses. And the second thing, it really does the managing and controlling of your private keys to enable you to send and receive in the background. Then we had a look at non, sorry, we had a look at custodial wallets. So they are wallets where you don't really own the keys, kind of like your bank account, like an exchange wallet or a web wallet. Then we had a look at non-custodial wallets, which are obviously preferable because you actually control, have private keys like hardware wallets and desktop and mobile wallets. So today we're going to have a look at... Bitcoin wallets in terms of choosing a Bitcoin wallet. And we're trying to not get too much in the weeds and trying to give some unbiased advice. But there's obviously some side effects and trade-offs and considerations. So, Faris, how about you start us off with what you think are some of the trade-offs and considerations when choosing a Bitcoin wallet? Yeah, thanks, Gordon. So just on that point, everyone, the way we're doing this today is Gordon's professional background is uh, security. So that's where he's coming at it from that point of view. He wants to make sure that you're doing everything as secure as possible from having a secure computer to best practices. Now, anyone familiar with how internet safety works, um, high level of security can sometimes mean higher levels of inconvenience. So I'm going to come at it from the other approach. So what's convenient? And we don't want things to be too convenient because then you lose that security. So this is going to be a uh, not a tug of war, but um, we're going to try and see what if the middle ground is or um, as far as best practices go. Because we meet with a lot of people who have very different needs for their Bitcoins. If you're a day trader versus a long-term holder, and depending on how much Bitcoins you're holding long-term, you'll have very different needs. So what we're saying today is a framework for what these various different types of needs are for Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, we're, we are looking at trade-offs of security versus convenience, but also remember this is not a one-size-fits-all approach. This is just the cover to the book. And just before we get started, a huge disclaimer that what we're talking about today may not necessarily be correct tomorrow because the Bitcoin space changes so rapidly. So when we're talking about these solutions and products, they're not endorsements. Just bear in mind that uh, you really do need to keep up to date with everything that's going on, especially with the advance in Bitcoin wallets. 
That's right. Thanks, Gordon. And this is something that we do on a regular basis is update our um, recommendations for wallets. We try and test them ourselves. And Gordon, again, looks at them from a security point of view. I look at them from a convenience point of view because my IT background is nowhere near as solid as Gordon's. So with that, I think we'll get straight into it. So with wallets, Gordon, I really like using um, Trezors and Ledgers. These are the cold um, storage wallets, the hardware wallets. The reasons I like those is because of the security protocols in place, but also for someone who is somewhat tech savvy, something new to Bitcoin, it actually gives them that sense of holding something in their hands. And a lot of reason people don't invest in Bitcoin is because they feel like they're just investing in a computer code. Whereas with a cold storage device, you click a button, you can see your Bitcoins, it actually gives them that, um, that anchor to their investment. So I I, you see people's eyes lit up when they move Bitcoin or receive Bitcoin from a mobile phone when that you show them how a, a ledger works. So that's the reason I like cold storage devices. So that they are, to me, I, I do find them quite convenient. So that's where I'm coming from. But Bitcoin, what's the, uh, sorry, Bitcoin, Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> you can call me Bitcoin if you want, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't call me Bitcoin Cash, please. Uh, <laughs> so what is the trade-off, Gordon, for the cold storage devices? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. So we're really talking about convenience versus security. Online or web wallets are super convenient. So store your Bitcoins on Coinbase or Bitstamp or Kraken or whatever exchange. But obviously if they get hacked or, you know, um, the, they get bankrupt or there's an exit scam, then they're gone forever. The converse is, well, the opposite would be, say, a paper wallet or a metal wallet that's actually completely offline. And I would argue that that's... Perhaps not as secure as some people think because, you know, you could write down your 24 words and put them in a bookshelf and uh, someone else could run away with that book, either steal them or lose them. So I'm not sure that that is as safe. A lot of people use metal wallets and put it in a bank vault. So I think you're right. The compromise between security and convenience would be a hardware wallet. It's got a hardware device with an inbuilt chip called a secure enclave. And that actually creates the private keys, whereas, say, a mobile phone wallet or a desktop wallet, software wallet, there actually isn't a hardware device there, so you could get infected with malware. So I think hardware wallets are probably the best compromise. However, they do come with their drawbacks, and I guess that's what you compromise on. I would say, do you want to stop me there or keep going? No, you keep going. Yeah, so I would say you're really guarding against two things when you're looking at wallets of any kind, really. You're guarding against loss and you're guarding against theft. Now, I actually think it's quite unlikely that your Bitcoin wallet would be stolen. Um, I think it's Sorry, probably more likely. Sorry, when you say the Bitcoin wallet, which wallet are you referring to in that case when you say your Bitcoin wallet? In any wallet. I'm just. Anyone. Yeah. Any wallet. So if you've got a piece of paper with your 24 words or a paper wallet or a metal wallet or even a hardware device, it is fairly unlikely that those devices are going to get stolen. The advantage of a hardware wallet in that situation is just because someone has your hardware wallet doesn't necessarily mean that they can get your Bitcoins. So there are some best practices that we can perhaps go through later. The major problem with a Bitcoin wallet 
is that you still have to back up your 24 words or 12 words in some cases, mnemonic seed. And that seed enables you to restore your Bitcoins, your private keys onto another device. So for example, if your device gets stolen, then you can simply buy a new Trezor or get a new Ledger or whatever hardware device and then restore your Bitcoins, your private keys onto that device. However, that means there's an extra piece that you need to keep secure. So not only do you need to keep your Ledger, Ledger, Trezor, uh, cold card or whatever hardware device secure, you also have to keep your 24 words secure because let's say you don't lose your backup, your device, sorry, you actually lose your backup or your backup gets stolen or someone can actually take your Bitcoins. So um, that is, to me, that's one of the major drawbacks of a hardware wallet. Where do you keep and where do you store your 24 word, 12 word seed? Yes, that's a really good point there because you're actually keeping two things secure and you don't want to keep them secure in the same place. So your backup seed, you might want to keep elsewhere. So that is, yeah, to me, that's an advantage. Um, it comes in handy for estate planning, especially. Um, or if something happens to me, I can show my next of kin how a ledger works, how a backup seed works. So I, I quite like that as a feature, but I see Gordon's point that, yeah, instead of trying to keep one thing safe, I now have to keep two things safe, and I don't want to keep them in the same place. Um, with the cold cards, so this is where the um, phrases are imprinted on a metal card, I find that stressful. It's, it's very small, and if I lose it, it's gone. So. Yeah, that's where they're really safe, really secure, but the onus is on this little thing the size of a credit card that can essentially be lost. So I very much see how that is very safe. But again, there's no secondary backup to it. If you lose that, it's gone. Yeah. Either uh, solutions really aren't ideal by themselves because a paper wallet or a metal wallet, you need to keep that safe, perhaps in a safety deposit box in a bank. A hardware wallet, you need to keep the hardware wallet and the 24-word seed safe as well. So I think there are some other solutions that we will go through. And so before basically... you let's, let's, um, let me ask you this, Gordon. If you were Satoshi mm -hmm. Nakamoto and you had a million Bitcoins, without giving away too much of CoinCompass trade secrets, where would you keep that many Bitcoins? What would you do? Um, firstly, I wouldn't upset myself on the Bitcoin Basics podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm not Satoshi. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not Satoshi. I'm my cabin would look a lot nicer than this. <laughs> right. So in, so in my bedroom. Um, I think, well, we, we, I'll delay answering that question because I think, and again, this is an annoying answer. There really isn't a one size fits all because I kind of get annoyed when there's a lot of advice online. And it's good intention, for example, get your keys or get your Bitcoins off an exchange. But it's just like, just get them into a hardware wallet. And that solution is perhaps good for most people, but it isn't actually the best solution in my uh, opinion. The best solution is actually a custom solution, uh, which we'll go through in a moment. Uh, so Gordon, with respect that yeah, one size is not fit all, we um, still need to educate some people here. Um, you know. But to other people we hope are listening. Um, <laughs> so give us some use case scenarios. 
Yeah, so I think we mentioned in a previous podcast that there are some uh, considerations like how tech savvy you are, how much Bitcoin you're holding, and a lot of other things. Do you trust yourself? But I think it comes down to a couple of cases. I think perhaps the first case could be you've just bought your first Bitcoin, you bought a small amount, it's a really, uh, let, let's say, coffee money or, or beer money, and you just want to play around. You want to buy, say, $20 or $10 or whatever it is, and you want to show your friends, maybe you send some to and from your friends, and so you just want to check it out, and maybe you want to help the ecosystem and make some small purchases here or there. I think that kind of use case, I'm not sure what you would recommend, but for me, I would recommend a mobile wallet. Some people will recommend an online or web wallet, but it's like, well, actually a mobile wallet would be better because you're not so worried about losing that 10 or $20, but if you can get a mobile wallet, you don't need to KYC yourself. So if you leave it on exchange or you use an exchange wallet, you still need to use your passport and your driver's license and basically de-anonymize yourself. What would be better is just download an Android or iPhone Bitcoin wallets, move your money onto there. Most of those wallets are also non-custodial. So you actually own them, even though you've got a small amount. You've got a backup phrase, you've got a pin number attached to that. And, um, you know, obviously it's pretty convenient. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So if you have a small amount of Bitcoins, then um, that's what I would do. You just keep them on a mobile wallet. Um, we do it for the purposes of demonstrating Bitcoin to people as well. Um, when we run some Bitcoin basics workshops, we you know just actually show people how to send $20 worth of Bitcoin. We just send it to a participant in the crowd, stuff like that. They're really handy. And when do you not know where your phone is? And yeah. it's very simple to use a mobile wallet because you're just used to using a mobile phone. So the principles remain the same. So let's say you have more than coffee or beer money or whatever you want to call it. Let's say you get a thousand bucks or more than that. Why? Well, w- would you still use a mobile wallet? Not for a thousand dollars. I would probably have maybe up to 200. For me, it is, like you say, spending money or mm-hmm. money that we just use to demonstrate Bitcoin because we don't we don't tend to um, spend our Bitcoins. We want to keep them. And by, yeah, I don't even want to use the word Bitcoins. We don't have that many. <laughs> <laughs> Um, is, is it so plural or singular? Yeah, singular even these days. Um, so why wouldn't you use a mobile wallet then? <sighs> yeah, it's just the idea of safety for me. Like They're very convenient. And look, if I lose my phone, um, I'd have to go, I'd have to have another phone somewhere, download the app, use my seed phrase again. So there is that same backup. Um, I just don't like the idea of walking around with that much wealth in my pocket. I, I, yeah. I think, honestly, it is safe, but yeah. Um, if you did it, you wouldn't let people know. You know, you, you hide the app even. Um, you know, we've heard stories of people <laughs> walking around talking about Bitcoin just to later, you know, get mugged. It doesn't happen, but it's only happened a few times. But yeah, to me, it's just the idea of why would you need to walk around with that many Bitcoins in your pocket? Um, if you had a phone, and that's the other thing, like I think you mentioned this, you know, the app that you're using um, could no longer run, no longer be supported. There's a few things that could happen there. 
Yeah, I just add to that uh, malware, especially with Android devices. There, there have been some iOS as well, but you know stuff like uh, Bitcoin tickers. So you want to check the price of Bitcoin. You put a widget on your desktop of your computer or your or your phone, or, or you download a Torch uh, app for your phone. There was a, a couple of years ago a spate of Android malware uh, apps attacking uh, Bitcoin apps. So whenever you're trying to send or receive, they would change the address on the fly. So. A mobile phone isn't the most secure device in the world. You could argue it's more secure than a computer, but that's a story for another day. Um, I wouldn't be happy putting any amount of significant amount of Bitcoin on my phone. Um, the same phone that I use for you know everyday use to play plant, Plants vs Zombies, but also possibly introduce some malware. And that's the point. Like, if you needed to get bitcoins on your mobile wallet for whatever reason, it takes 15 minutes at most. By the time you log in to your computer, if they're on a um, hot wallet to get them off of cold storage, it'll take 15 minutes when you know what you're doing to get them to your mobile phone. So, yeah, why walk around with more than you're willing to lose? Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so let's let's say you've got a small investment, and a small investment is means different things to different people. But let's say you know you got more than a thousand bucks. Where would you uh, store your Bitcoin? So if I had that amount, personally, I like cold storage devices. Right. Let's so you're say. talking hardware wallets. Uh, yeah. Paper Sorry, wallets, hardware. Right? Yeah, yeah. Should have been a bit more specific. Hardware wallets with that one. That's what I like with a backup seed. Okay. And why is that? Um, so with those, a, that's the sole purpose of them is I've got my Bitcoins on there. I'm not going to be opening them, checking them for any other reason. If I had them on a hard drive or on an old, old phone, that computer might not start up. I could lose that hard drive, which is stories we've heard several times. The phone could die and not restart. Um, with these things, if something happens to it, I've got a backup seat. I can just, you know, hundred bucks, get another treasure and ledger. And bingo, my Bitcoins are back. So I just like the security and the convenience of those. So I'm going to beat a dead horse here. How will you store your backup seed? Ah, I've got my own solution for that. Something I don't want to share. Okay. No, that's good. That was a test. It was a test of your <laughs> it's not a, It's not a tattoo, by the way. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's terrible, lovesick. <laughs> like, what was, okay. that, what was that? Prison, prison break. Yeah, so imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so when, when we talk about these different kind of solutions, we talk about not having a single point of failure. So if you've left your Bitcoins on an exchange, you know, whether it's um, $50 worth of Bitcoin or $10,000 worth of Bitcoin, you know, maybe something like Coinbase has um, some sort of insurance or whatnot. But effectively, if they get hacked or stolen or whatever happens or the company gets bankrupt, you lost all your coins. Now, the same thing could happen, even though it's quite remote, it still could happen because when you think about it, the blockchain is unhackable. But if I was a hacker, I would definitely go after Bitcoin wallets because they're massive, juicy targets. And there are really two main uh, Bitcoin hardware wallets, Trezor and Ledger. So if I was a hacker, I would definitely go after those two. So you've uh, put all your Bitcoins or really your private keys into a Ledger or a Trezor or a cold card or whatever. Um, they have some sort of firmware bug and you've lost all your coins. Yep. Right. Are you no, willing yeah, to take yeah. that risk? Because I'm not. No, no, no. 
Look, for me, look, that amount of Bitcoin is $1,000. I do like the cold storage of ISIS. That, that's, that's what I like. I, the idea of just having them on a piece of paper somewhere else. Yeah, I just feel uncomfortable about that because that is that like you you like the idea of that being a single attack vector, but I'm not looking at accessing those coins often. For me, if it's a long term thing, I do like the cold storage devices. Mm. And I mean, this thing you've been around Bitcoin a lot longer than I have, so. Um, well, no, you haven't. You just got we got you told me about it a long time ago, but I think um, you've you've been in it deeper than I have. And especially with OPSEC and InfoSec, you're in there a lot more than I am. But you trust yourself with that solution. I, I'm close to trusting myself with that solution, but yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I'm, not, I'm not there yet. That level of single attack vector, that level of um, complete independence and sovereignty is still a bit scary for me. Yeah, no, that, that actually wasn't what I was saying. I don't trust myself with any single point of failure. So I wouldn't want to have all my Bitcoins in one hardware device, just like I wouldn't have, want to have all my Bitcoins in a paper wallet or a metal wallet. So it's pretty unlikely. And But, you know, you never know. Um, I think that those um, hardware wallet manufacturers are a massive, juicy target. And there have been bugs in the past. There hasn't been anything that would you know, steal your Bitcoins or anything like that. But it is a reality of you, when you plug in your treasury ledger, for example, you are plugging it into a computer. Now there is a separation between your Windows 10 or your Mac or your Linux and that hardware device, but it does want to do stuff. Like for example, if you haven't used it for a couple of years, it wants to download the latest firmware. Well, what happens if the latest firmware you know, had, a, had a bit of malware in it or a bug in it that um, basically cleaned out your Bitcoins? So, yeah, all of this is really... Sorry, too... backwards. I think, sorry, I interrupt you there, because I think that's where I got confused in what you were saying. So the firmware malware you're referring to, is that you're referring to firmware malware on the desktop, but not on the core storage device? Uh, it could be either. I mean, the, the hardware wallets are designed so that it doesn't matter if your Windows 10 is infected with viruses and yeah. malware, but I'm talking about actually Ledger or Trezor's firmware having a bug or piece of malware in it. Okay. How often has that happened? Um, there's certainly plenty of bugs. Uh, there's nothing that is like, you know, cleaned out Bitcoin and stuff like that. But there's, there, there have actually been some pretty serious bugs in the past that, uh, yeah, I certainly wouldn't uh, want that to happen. Do we know, because I do know they have bugs because they release bug updates, which is something we, we tweet about. Um, do we know if there's have been Bitcoins actually hacked from um, Trezors or ledgers? Well, the problem is Trezor Trezor is, because you've got two things with a hardware wallet. You've got the hardware wallet itself, but you've also got the software wallet and you have to run a software wallet to be able to access the hardware wallet. Trezor is completely open source. So Trezor has definitely had some bugs before. They've been fixed, you know, pretty quickly, but there were some pretty serious bugs in there. Um, Unfortunately, Ledger, well, I don't know, unfortunately, but Ledger is not open source. So if there were some bugs, just like Windows or Mac, um, they're not disclosed. So there could have been some bugs and it could have been fixed. There could be a bug sitting in Ledger's firmware right now that we just don't know about or no one knows about because it's not open source. So it is a remote possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, with that, because we know that like exchanges have been hacked. You hear about it right away when exchanges are hacked. 
So we know that there's bugs in these wallets. Do we know of incidences where they've actually been hacked en masse? Um, well, ha hacking means an attacker has gotten in and you know stolen stuff and code and stuff like that. Yes. Um, if they're, well, it's kind of like, do we know a bank's been hacked? Uh, we don't, but if the bank was, they wouldn't disclose it anyway. So it's- No, uh, but surely the owners, the owners of the big of the treasures and ledgers would would make the public aware about it. You, we would have heard about that. Yeah, you would have heard about it. Um, you might not know about it too, it's too late. But in terms of um, a potential scenario, as I said, it's pretty low. But I would say a massive juicy target would be the firmware yeah. of these hardware devices for sure. Okay. Yeah. So low probability, but yeah, very, very low, very low. But yeah, definitely possible. Okay. But with that, so let's just say um, hypothetically, I've got let's say ten thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin on a Trezor or a Ledger. I moved them on there and then I hide it, put it in a vault. They're safe, right? And um, if, and let's just say treasures and ledgers do get hacked, Bitcoins do get stolen. Mine is fine because it's in a vault. Is that correct? It depends on, I, I understand your point. Like your, your treasure or your ledger is offline, therefore you yeah. can't get hacked. It's not online, but it depends on, if the hack was bad enough, if the hack was bad enough to be able to reverse engineer some of the storage of the Bitcoin wallets, then it doesn't matter whether your Trezor or Ledger was offline or not. That could, you know, it, it, it completely depends. And unfortunately, again, I'm not picking on Ledger, but their software is not open source. So we just don't know what is going on there. And oh, just a recap for anyone listening this open source it's not something we want to go through in this podcast we've addressed it in a lot of detail in previous podcasts so if you want to know what gordon means when he's why he prefers open source software it's actually a really important point so please we'll put a, a link at the bottom of these notes just to refer to our previous podcast where we talk about decentralization and open source actually decentralization has got nothing to do with it sorry but we do talk about open source <laughs> software versus um the other alternatives available. So yeah, Gordon's a big proponent of open source software and he's actually turned me around to it as well. Excellent. There's one person I've converted. <laughs> um, so we could, I mean, we can, we can keep on talking about uh, personal scenarios, stuff like that. Um, you can be really paranoid like I am and most security people are paranoid. It is extremely unlikely that Ledger and Trez is going to get hacked, but hey, it could happen. It's extremely unlikely that um, you buy a hardware wallet from someone who isn't Trezor or Ledger, you know, from eBay or whatnot, and then they, you know, open the um, Trezor or Ledger, write down the private key, repackage it up, and then on sell it onto you. That's called a supply chain hack. Um, it's extremely unlikely that you send Bitcoins from the exchange to your Ledger or Trezor, but they are actually cryptocurrency wallets. So for example, even though you're just storing Bitcoin on your ledger or Trezor, um, there could be a bug in another wallet, you know, not to pick on Litecoin, but there could be a bug in the Litecoin wallet. You don't have any Litecoin, but that bug then gives that Litecoin access to other wallets on the device and all that kind of stuff. So again, it's all about trying to minimize single points of failure. Mm -hmm. So in that scenario, you can look at manufacturer risk management. So instead of um, storing all your bitcoins 
in one manufacturer's advice, why not split into three, you know? Um, one third on a Trezor, one third on a Ledger, and one third on a cold card, for example. Yeah, you want to minimize your counterparty risk. So if you have it all with the one, then obviously you're, yeah, that's a huge counterparty risk. So if you spread it across, then yeah, it, it really does help, yeah. So everyone, it's Ferris here, and I'm just recording this after the fact, so after we uh, finish that podcast. Um, essentially, what I wanted to say is we did go through a lot of things there, and unfortunately, IT security is one of the boring topics that tends to put people to sleep. But when it comes to Bitcoin, strong security on your hardware devices and on your everyday practices, best practices, is crucial. Um, we go through this in detail in our YouTube videos, and when we run workshops, we actually spend most of the time talking about what you do before you buy Bitcoin and after you buy Bitcoin. Because if you buy Bitcoin at the click of a mouse and you're doing it on an infected computer, well, everything you've learned has just gone to waste, and that money you've invested in Bitcoin potentially is lost. So keep that in mind that with IT best practices, yes, it is a steep learning curve, but it's one of those things when you start with good foundations, it does get easier and it just creates good habits. So thanks for bearing with us. We did consider editing some of this material out, but we chose not to. If it's too complex, if it seems too hard, don't worry. That's actually what our business, Coin Compass, does. We sit down, we go through this with you in group workshops or in person. So thank you again and please remember to visit our website and see our social media and like us and send us reviews. Thank you, everyone. And I apologize for boring everyone with useful information. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad free. Until next time.